Well, we're on Psalm 23, probably one of the best-known chapters in the Bible, I guess, along with uh, the Gospels. Um, this is one that I, people of my generation remember, uh, that we had an assembly every morning at school, and uh, we were not say forced, but we were asked to stand up and uh, recite the 23rd Psalm. It was just a repetitive thing, and I think in some ways it it was a shame that it was done like that, because you could recount it, but really, never really understood it. Let's read it first of all together. Um, Well, often it's well known, but I suppose maybe not to everybody. It depends, of course, whether you're a student of the word. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A lovely Psalm of David. I think it's worth commenting in its setting. Because it's whoever was responsible for putting the books of the Bible in order, or responsible in particular of putting these psalms in order, uh, had a quite an important job, <laughs> and they would have done it for a reason. And I believe, and we believe, I'm sure that it was done a, uh, under the hand of God, and that He wanted Psalm one as Psalm one. And he had a reason for having all the other psalms in the order that they're in. And I believe it would be great, I think, just to sit down and and chat with these people that had that responsibility as to what governed their choice and the way they did it. But we've got a lovely little setting here um, between Psalm 22, Psalm 23 and Psalm 24. It's often referred to as the, the cross, the crook and the crown because of three C's, because 22 is all about the sufferings of the Saviour on the cross, 23 is all about the shepherd leading the flock, and 24 is the ascension of the Lord into heaven, and receiving the glory of uh, his victory at Calvary, and receiving his due reward up there. So the, the three go together, and it's I think it is worth mentioning because although we are going to be looking purely at 23, which is the crook, the shepherd, the shepherd psalm, I think it's important to see that it follows on from the 22, which is all about the death and of the Lord Jesus and his resurrection. So it's, it's good to see that because... I think it's worth reading the three together. And um, when Psalm 
3 starts off, it starts off with the Lord is my shepherd. But really, he is not our shepherd unless we can read Psalm 22 and put ourselves in that psalm and be able to go through the cross experience and realise that our sins were um, dealt with on the cross at Calvary, on the body of Christ, and to accept that. Then we move on into 23, and we're able to say with David, who wrote this psalm, the, the Lord is my shepherd. The end of the, the psalm, it concludes in verse 6 with, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So again, looking at context, and looking at position and setting, um, it all fits together lovely. My father was a, a jeweler, and he used to often say that when he was working in, as a jeweler, he would get a precious stone and it would be a, a diamond or whatever, and it would be beautiful. Uh, and he would work and look at it and it would have no flaws and he would think it had a certain value and a preciousness. But he said, once you then put it in a setting, once you put it in a ring or a bracelet or a necklace or whatever, uh, its value was enhanced. And it was, its beauty was um, highlighted and its value was increased. So it's worth thinking that there's a value in Psalm 23, great value, but in its setting it can be enhanced. As the psalm is about the shepherd, of course, it, we would link it with John 10, because although the Psalm 23 is a psalm that's written by David, and it's written, I believe, uh, out of his experiences as a young shepherd, and his, um, the value of the experiences that he had of looking after his sheep and protecting them, that Again, it gives more value to this psalm as somebody who understands the work of a shepherd and is relating it to the Lord leading him in his life. So experiences that he had as a shepherd uh, repelling the enemies or the uh, wild animals, uh, particularly maybe thieves as well, that he it was a job that he could understand the need for a good shepherd who loves his sheep, knowing how to protect them. And that is, enables us to be get on the first rung of the ladder in elevating our thoughts to the person of Christ and the great shepherd and how he uh, guides and directs. Um, I don't want, for the sake of time, I don't want, I mean, it's just worth noting for yourself, to, if you want to, it's good to compare this psalm with John 10, because it's the words of the Lord himself, and that he talked about uh, the sheep knowing the shepherd, he talked about them knowing his voice, uh, hearing his call, he talked also in a vein of the love, loving him, sheep loving the shepherd and trusting him and following him that was the eastern way of the shepherd 
with the flock, of course, was it was not that he um, pushed them, he led them, and they, they, and it was all about relationships. And of course, that's so important when we come to Psalm 23, is the relationship of the shepherd to the sheep. And it, it's, as the Lord said in John 10, that um, if the shepherd didn't love the sheep, and if the sheep didn't know his voice, then there was chaos. Uh, they wouldn't follow him. He wouldn't protect them properly if they were attacked by their enemies. And um, the Lord, if you remember, actually said to his disciples that the shepherd was going to be struck and that the sheep would be scattered. If you remember, Peter's response to that was, no, that won't happen, Lord. And it's exactly what happened, um, of course. The, the shepherd was struck and the sheep that he had that little flock that he had been looking after for three years they were scattered and he brought them together again later but um, <coughs> I think it's just the picture is lovely so the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures. I think again it's just a beautiful picture of the relationship so as we come out of Psalm 22 having seen all that the Lord Jesus Christ had done for us on the cross, seen his sufferings and entered into it, then it just naturally comes on uh, into this, now we need leading. He's died for us He's dealt with our sin. He's given us life eternal. Now we are in his flock. We are sheep that need a shepherd. And we are living in a, a world that is surrounded by enemies. We are surrounded by enemies. And we need a shepherd. And he's there for us. And so this is the psalm. That's the crook. Um, he's, when he says, uh, I shall not want... It's funny, you know, to start off with that because you might think in your own life, well, I've got a lot of want. Um, how can David say that? Uh, to know that the Lord Jesus is our shepherd and that we shall not want. Want for what? Well, of course, it's not wanting the things of this world. It's, it's being referred to here. It's not even necessarily wanting a sort of perfect health and perfect conditions. It's the want of our eternity. And it's the understanding that when the Lord Jesus Christ died and he asked us to follow him in, into that understanding and appreciation to be raised with him and to follow him means that the not wanting is that your future is secure that we are in Christ Jesus and that lovely feeling of security. I shall not want for anything in the future and all the difficulties that I undoubtedly will find as I go through my life, he will be with me. And we looked at that in, in Psalm 9, uh, 16 uh, when we were looking at that, that uh, David talked about the Lord always being before him. And that comfort that he um, felt from the knowledge 
that the Lord was always before him. I will put him before me. And in, from that, I will recognize the joys of life, the joys of Christianity, and not be focusing on the things of this world that I don't have, or the difficulties that I have, but focused on what the Lord has achieved in Calvary for me, in that security of eternity. When he talks about the, uh, the green pastures, the refreshing food of pasture, the um, picture of peace, and the still waters, and lying down or walking, whether we are walking or lying down, he is providing as the great shepherd everything that we need. And the, the still waters and the green pastures are again just picturing it all as a shepherd with the sheep. Um, it's all a picture of this ever supplying hand of God. But there is no um, neglect, there is no necessity for us to be uh, without food or appreciating peace in our life because it's there for us. The shepherd is supplying it and we shouldn't have lives which are stressful. Uh, we shouldn't have lives where instead of still waters it's raging torrents or um, great waves of billowing and, and uh, attacking us. Um, it shouldn't be a case of us running around like running around like headless chicken that was a better one isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but that, that sense in which we're just out of control but of being under the crook and, and following the saviour what he's saying is and the psalmist David here has experienced it is that we should have a peace we should be feeding on the green pastures we should be seeing the waters there just for us to enjoy for a drink or the peace. But in reality, we, we don't have that, do we? We are struggling with that. But that's there for us as we, if we're close to the shepherd, that's where he'll take us. If we're far away from the shepherd, then that's where we're likely to end up in a different place, in different difficulties. He restores my soul. He restores my soul is again the picture of the real us, the inner being, not the outward body, but the restores my soul. What does it mean restores? It means that it's been God's originally, belonged to him, and he lost us. He lost us through sin, and he's restored our soul. Now that can be seen in the salvation setting. He restored our soul at Calvary. He won us back. He removed our sin and he dealt with our sin. And therefore the restoration is there for us to enjoy in the peaceful settings because it's there in the future. But he also restores our soul in a daily basis where Every morning that we arise and 
is the recognition that the shepherd, the great shepherd is before us and he's leading us. Where is he leading <coughs> us? Ultimately, he's leading us to heaven. Ultimately, he's leading us to that perfect place where we will be one with him, the marriage of the Lamb in heaven. What that's going to be like, I have no idea, but I love thinking about it. I love trying to work it out. But I'm going to be miles away. The oneness, uh, what that means to be one in Christ Jesus. We're only dabbling with it at the moment. We're only, uh, but it's a restoration of our souls to know that we now belong to Christ and uh, we are in him now. But the fullness of that and the full appreciation of that is in the future. But again, it's all part of the peace. When often think about it, that when our soul is sorrowful, the Lord revives us. And when our soul is sinful, then he sanctifies us. And when we are weak, he strengthens us. And that's all in our innermost being, which it belongs to God, belongs to the Lord Jesus. And it gives us a great peace and satisfaction. He guides me in righteous paths. That um, it's the law of love, the righteous path. I think, you know, it's, again, the importance I've mentioned about reading Psalm 22 before you read Psalm 23 is, is really just at the end of Psalm 22, we should surely have great love for the Lord and what he did for us. And if you get to the end of seeing all his sufferings and entering into it, you have a great love. Would we not want him to lead us in righteous paths? Would we really think it's nothing? Sometimes we, we quote that scripture out of context about, um, is it nothing to you, all you who pass by, like referring to Israel, but, uh, but the picture that surely can uh, relate to the Lord on the cross when he looked down and he saw people not caring he saw people laughing at him mocking him and people just passing by just totally disinterested is it nothing to you and that's where we as Christians would, should respond to that of course it's something to me of course I want to respond and of course when I choose my path I want it to be a righteous path because that where is where Christ is leading. And therefore, if we're not on the righteous path, we're not following the shepherd. And that's where the dangers start to come in. Hurry on. <coughs> Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I think it's the valley of the shadow of death or um, it's a picture I suppose of our lives that can be that we are surrounded by death. Death is a terrible thing for mankind. It, we're surrounded by it. We see it all the time. Friends, neighbours, sometimes family who do not know Christ as their saviour. They are surrounded by the fear of death. It's hovering over us. Hovering hovering over 
uh, mankind. <clears throat> and yea, though I walk, as we walk through this valley and we see death all around us and the sorrow it brings, we surely should be able to say that we don't fear. We don't fear because we are being redeemed and we are secure in Christ Jesus. And as long as we are following the shepherd, and even if we are going through dark times, and even although we're going through times when we're being surrounded by death, and it's this fear that we see in others, it shouldn't be something that we fear. Uh, we'll fear no evil because the Lord Jesus has removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. Your rod and your staff comfort me. I think again I was reading some commentaries on the, the difference between a rod and a staff and I, oh, I must be confess I don't really understand that. I think the, uh, 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 for my knowledge of a shepherd you know, a few um, times that I've been in a, in a farm setting and seen that it just uh, depends what end of this, <laughs> the staff you're using. Um, you know, for separating the sheep and keeping them on the right way, you'd use what would be the rod, the rod end of the wooden staff that he'd had in his hand. And if the sheep needs help, if it's stuck in the swamp or it's gone down a hole somewhere or however, then the crook is used to get underneath it and pull it up. So there's a, there's a picture just of both the rod and the staff of, of care. Sometimes maybe the rod is used in defence of a, an animal that's attacking it and it would be used to ward it off. Or sometimes it might be to rectify the sheep and go off the track. A little knock on the side. Or the hook is used. It's all just a picture of care. Sometimes it's a stern care. Sometimes it needs sort of a harsher treatment or it can just be the crook that just lifts it out of the miry clay and uh, he gives it comfort. The thought of, um, with this I'm just going to close soon, um, prepares a table uh, in the presence of my enemies. Again, it's a, a, a picture of maybe a shepherd taking his flock into a, the green pastures, but it's what's all around that's been emphasised here, to prepare a table. Um, I wondered if it was maybe a, a something like, if you're in a battlefield, and what I've read about battlefields, not that I've been in one, is that um, the, the army or the, the, the fighters, um, they would feed themselves by eating little small bits that were packages in, the, in their rucksacks or whatever, and they would feed themselves on the run or on the move or whilst they're hiding or whatever. And it's, it's small morsels just to give them enough strength to keep going. The picture of preparing a table in the presence of my enemies is something very different. And it's the preparing of a table. You, see, you, you get this picture of a, a dining room and a, a big feast that's been, somebody's been is preparing it all very carefully and ensuring that all the right cutlery and crockery and everything's all in place as it's preparing the table. That's a picture, I think, of the Lord Jesus is preparing a table. There's no concern about the enemies around because they've been defeated. 
and there, there's no need to eat on the run. That the preparation of the Lord Jesus in our lives is that he's preparing something that he has no concern over the enemies. He's preparing something for us that we will sit down and eat and that we will enjoy. And the preparation is going on now. He prepares a table in the midst of my enemies. Our enemies are, are the Lord's enemies. It's Satan who's trying to disrupt us. And again, it's just a lovely picture of peace and tranquility and confidence in that the Lord Jesus Christ has in the preparing of the self-assuredness of his preparation. He anointeth my head with oil, as again another picture is that we are secure in Christ. The anointing of the oil is the, cho the chosen king. That's where it was, where it comes from. Um, David was anointed by Samuel. Uh, it was there in the presence of his brethren, and that showed everybody that he was chosen to be king. We have been chosen. We have been anointed. And I think that is something that we just need to have that assurance that the anointing is, is all part of um, the Lord choosing us out of this world. You are mine. Your future is secure. You're anointed. He anointed my head with oil. And that is something that we, we wear on our head. It's like a seal. We're... Um, we have that peace and that comfort which follows up with our cup overflows. What does our cup overflow with? It overflows with the love of God. It overflows with the care of Christ. It's something that he's given us in abundance. And that's available for us and we, we don't take it in. We don't appreciate it as much as we should. I mean, if we were talking to each other, would we actually say, you know, my cup is overflowing? And you think, well, what are we referring to here? Well, we're referring to the things of God. We are referring to what Christ has given us through his atoning work, through the indwelling Holy Spirit that's within us, that our cup overflows means that if we were to study this, the word of God and seek to follow in the paths of righteousness and we focused on that, we would appreciate an overflowing cup in our lives. That we would be waking up rejoicing in our salvation. We would be going through our lives, would we not? Rejoicing that we know Christ and he's revealing day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, his creation and his joy and his love for us. And our cup is overflowing. You see that in some people. And it's, maybe it's a sad thing that all of us are not like that because we, we feel it sometimes. We've got a full cup sometimes. Other times it's definitely not full. But as others, you know, you, you, you make comments about them saying, oh, they're, they're always joyful. They're always talking about the Lord. They're always saying that we're, you know, I hope the Lord's coming soon. And that, that type of person sort of, it, you would say their cup's overflowing. And I'm going to catch some of that stuff that's flowing over in my cup because I need my cup to be filled a bit more. Surely goodness and mercy or goodness and love, as it says in the NIV, will follow me. 
Surely, surely it will. Of course it will. Maybe surely in our language is a little bit, well, hopefully. <laughs> it's not that, it's more definitely. These things, will goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Because it's there for me. Sometimes I don't see it. Sometimes I don't use it. Sometimes I don't appreciate it. And then the psalm just finishes up by saying, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord. It's a lovely appreciation of it. Whereas the house of the Lord is where God is. That is where we should be, want to be. And here in this life, we have the, the opportunity uh, that's not been given to all, but to be in God's house now, in accepting and appreciating um, the, the call of God to accept the truth that's been revealed to us through his word and to try and follow that and then to take responsibility for that as being a priesthood and a collective worship that we have an opportunity that even David didn't have to enter into the presence of God as a collective people. And although David was talking about the, the situation in his life where the Ark of the Covenant was in a place where he could at least go to or go close to and could worship and, and feel the presence of God there. He didn't have the opportunities that we have. He didn't even have the opportunities that his son Solomon had with the building of the temple where these furnitures and furnishings were put together and the presence of the Lord was there in the one place but more people could get together. Uh, David didn't have that but David did have that understanding of the presence of God and the importance of it but also forever um, we can look at that as forever in our life until we die well the forever here is also going into the soul is that even when we die we are going to be in the presence of God forever so I will dwell in the house of the Lord here on earth but I will dwell in the house of the Lord in heaven forever as we enjoy the presence of God. That was something that was precious to David, the presence of God. And despite a man that made mistakes like we do, um, he never lost that love. And he didn't lose that desire for the presence of God. And he didn't stop <coughs> thinking of the future. Uh, if you read it through his Psalms and in his lifetime, so David was a great example of the psalmist, sorry, the great example of the shepherd, but compared to the Lord Jesus Christ, then, you know, he readily would accept that his experiences with the sheep help him understand what it was the great shepherd would do uh, when he came to the earth, which is what he showed. It goes on to Psalm 24, and I'll close with this really just, just for your own thinking, is that once we've accepted the presence of God in our lives, once we see him as the great shepherd, is then to go on and see the glory, the glory of the crown. So Psalm 24 goes on to talk about him being crowned in heaven. And the great, lift up your heads, O ye gates, that the king of glory might come in. And there's a picture of 
rejoicing in heaven because he has the victory on earth. Shall we pray? <clears throat>